When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome one and all to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. The nation... The nation is still reeling from yesterday's big story about former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy seen here saying, hello, monster.com? After just nine months of sucking at his job, McCarthy was stripped of the gavel by eight members of his own party. To make it even worse, this all happened, and this is true on National Kevin Day. Wow. There's a National Kevin Day. It just... What a way to honor it. Today, of course, again, and this is true, is National Taco Day and National Vodka Day. Tacos and vodka, or as Kevin McCarthy called them this morning, breakfast. (laughs) Following the vote... Following this historic uh, vote, a defeated McCarthy held a press conference that can only be described as one hour long. (laughs) And just would not end. And he started like this. President Abraham Lincoln once said, I'm an optimist because I don't see any other way. Is he sure that's really from Lincoln and not a (laughs) crocheted pillow on Etsy? (laughs) As Winston Churchill said, it's wine o'clock somewhere. (laughs) McCarthy... McCarthy also waxed nostalgic about his start in politics. I opened up the local paper and said, be a summer intern in Washington, D.C. with my local congressman. I did not know this man, but I thought he'd be lucky to have me, so I applied. (laughs) You know what he did? He turned me down. But you want to know the end of the story? I got elected to a seat I couldn't get an internship for. I ended up being the 55th Speaker of the House. Turns out, that's actually not the end of the story. (laughs) I'd love to see Kevin McCarthy do movie recaps. Titanic, beautiful boat, so cool that it's unsinkable. Can't wait to see what hijinks Jack and Rose get up to in the sequel. Remember. Remember. Me too, Titanic too, right? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Mm Mm-hmm. Remember, the only reason that these eight Republicans were able to get rid of McCarthy in the first place is that back when he was struggling desperately after 15 failed votes to get enough votes cobbled together to become Speaker, the hardliners got McCarthy to agree to a rule that allows any one lawmaker in the House to call up a vote to eject him. So, I mean, obviously McCarthy can't blame anybody but himself. Is what I thought. Today was a political decision by the Democrats. Really? You handed a straight razor to the craziest, most selfish nihilist in the entire MAGA mob and said, just hold this to my neck, and if I say or do one thing you don't like, just slice away. And you're blaming the Democrats? It reminds me of that iconic scene in Jaws. This was a political decision from the Democrats! But...
But he had a lot of blame for a lot of people that aren't him, which led one CNN commentator to give his press conference this review. And I just kept thinking about Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech like from a few years ago. He just went after everybody throughout his entire life, whoever did him wrong. And it seemed like McCarthy was circling around to the same thing. That is a perfect comparison if Michael Jordan had been the worst basketball player of all time and had been cut nine months in to his career at UNC. Yesterday's slide down Chaos Mountain into Insanity River at the bottom of Dumbass Canyon was sherpaed by uh, one man, Florida Republican and... And Bob's big boy who sells Molly in the club bathroom, <laughs> Matt Gates. Despite getting exactly what he asked for, Gates was in a reflective mood. The stages of grief, I think, are uh, in progress right now with some of my colleagues. I think there was a stage of denial, and I've certainly experienced a good amount of their anger, and now we appear to be headed toward bargaining. It is so, so rare to get lectured about grief by the murderer. <laughs> There, there, shh, let it out. It's healthy to cry. By the way, do you have a tarp I can roll your corpse up in? (laughs) Gates, that's him, not me, that's him. (laughs) Gates isn't wrong, though. His colleagues are definitely GO-peeved, including (laughs) Louisiana rep and John Boehner rookie card, (laughs) Garrett Graves. Graves went after Gates for sending fundraising texts while he was in the act of attacking his own party. I keep wondering, what is going on? And all of a sudden, my phone keeps sending text messages. Text messages saying, hey, give me money. Oh, look at that. Oh, look, give me money. I filed the motion to vacate. Using official actions, official actions to raise money. It's disgusting. And if you think it's disgusting, then send $10 today to Disgusting Pack. You know our slogan. Ooh, this slogan sucks. Come on. Come on. Give me your money. Sorry. <laughs> Let him know. But Gates did not back down from his proud douchery. When it comes to how those raise money, I take no lecture on asking patriotic Americans to weigh in and contribute to this fight from those who would grovel and bend knee for the lobbyists and special interests who own our leadership, who have... Oh, boo all you want. Okay. Boo. was very generous of him. (laughs) Meanwhile, over in the Senate, even the GOP senators are mocking the dysfunction in the House. Take, for instance, Louisiana Senator John Kennedy, who said this. I got a new strap-on harness today. I can't wait to put it on you. It will fit my favorite dildo perfectly. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, uh, it's... Wrong clip. Actually, not sorry, but still wrong clip. (laughs) I I meant to show you this one from yesterday. I don't have a lot of advice for my House colleagues other than this. Um, Follow your heart. 
but take your brain with you. I'd also advise all of my House colleagues to be sure and take their meds. Because you're going to need them after you see my new strap on. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. It's got a little dog leg right. It's got a little dog leg to it. <laughs> the point is, wow. it's a hot mess. McCarthy's out, and he was immediately replaced by acting speaker and star of Old Sheldon, <laughs> Patrick McHenry. You, of course, remember Patrick McHenry's famous quote, give me liberty or give me McDeath. <laughs> Last night, McHenry stepped up to the speaker's podium and showed just how he intends to wield that gavel. The chair declares the House in recess, subject to the call of the chair. Damn. That boy, that boy brought the hammer down. I wonder, I wonder why Jim, is, is there any more to that footage? Chair declares the House in recess, subject to the call of the chair. Oh, that's nice. That's fun. That's fun. That's nice. Oh, he won a minion. <laughs> but here's the thing. McHenry won't be speaker for long. When Congress gets back in session, they'll immediately hold a new speakership election. And right now, the top contenders are guys you'd expect. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise and Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan. But they're facing potential challengers like House Majority Whip Tom Emmer and Oklahoma Representative Kevin Hearn, who are known by the collective name... Huh? <laughs> now, it might not be any of those guys, because according to the Constitution, the Speaker of the House doesn't technically have to be a sitting member of Congress. So, naturally, like a turd in a hot tub, one name <laughs> has floated to the surface. According to Fox News, House Republicans are trying to draft Trump as Speaker of the House. Don't worry. Don't worry, there's no way he can be drafted. He's got the bone spurs. Hey. The hey. former president himself weighed in today, and he's not ruling it out. A lot of people have been calling me about speaker. All I can say is we'll do whatever's best for the country. Oh, well then, um, slather yourself in honey and let the fire ants have at you. Republicans aren't the only ones dealing with chaos. There's also a scandal brewing in the White House because we just learned that Biden's dog bit a Secret Service officer. That's right. We have breaking news. Dog bites man. <laughs> it's not the first time Biden's dog commander has had the taste for human flesh. This is believed to be the 11th such incident since he entered the White House. What does Commander have against the president's bodyguards? Jim, do we have a picture of the Secret Service? Age? Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> That's a bad show. That's a bad choice for a bodyguard. There may be another explanation for Commander's anti-law enforcement bias, because according to experts, it's possible Commander is biting Secret Service agents because of their unfriendly expressions. <laughs> huh. I don't know why they wouldn't look friendlier. They have such a nice life. All right, welcome aboard. Basically, your job is to stand around in silence until it's your turn to jump in front of a bullet. And don't forget to smile, or that dog will bite your nards off. Okay? Keep it light. Keep it light. He smells fear. And nards. 
In another incident, the agent said that he felt the need to hoist up the chair he was sitting on to use as a shield when Commander began barking at him from the top of a White House staircase. You could see it all in the classic thriller, In the Line of Fur. <laughs> we got a great show for you tonight. Coming up, Anderson Cooper. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest tonight is a CNN anchor and a New York Times bestselling author. Please welcome back to The Late Show, Anderson Cooper. Welcome back. Yeah, it's ha- happy to have you back. It feels like I'm back. Now I'm talking to Anderson Cooper. This is what we do. <laughs> yeah. It's great to have something to watch in late night now. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I was watching. I've been going to bed at like 9.30 every night. <laughs> Nothing to do. Wow, yeah. Well, I watch you when I get home at night. You know, I, 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 I record you, uh-huh. the Anderson, you know. Sure. I take the handoff from Aaron, and I, right. and I watch a little Anderson. Okay, it's great. Cool. Thank yeah. you very much. The show is actually not called The Anderson, but that's, uh, that's all right. I, you've lost a little credibility that you actually watch it, but that's fine. Insiders call it the Anderson. <laughs> um, well, listen, you're a perfect guy to have right now because things are crazy. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, it's, uh, they... it's a bit of a Shondagas, I like to say. Basistas, the Shondagas. It's a mix between a Shonda and a Michigas. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll, I'll mix one here. Uh, when Kevin was pulled out of there, I had a Shondagasm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that an yeah. orgasm of Schadenfreude? Yeah, okay. sure. All right, sure. sure. Okay, uh, you're, you're an expert explainer. Explain By the way, my, my little son is here. He's backstage watching on television. Which I just... He's learning German. <laughs> okay, very international. So you're, you're an expert explainer. Explain to us... Oh, please. ...how, a, how big a deal this is. Which? What? Uh, Kevin what, McCar- what? Let's, go, let's start with Kevin McCarthy losing the speakership. Yeah, that, that's the only time it's ever happened in American history. I mean, you know, in the 200-some-odd years of our democracy, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, we got another, like, 15 minutes of interview. If you could spread that <laughs> just a little... If you could well, just, like... Well, hey, it's never happened before. You, you, seem, you seem to... <laughs> Mechanically, what is the upshot here? Can anything be done in Congress until there's a new speaker? No. Yeah, no. So they took what, what you know, there's a crisis, so what they did is they took a week off... And, um, so, Just yeah. to, like, just to center? I think it's, a lot, yeah. There's a, probably a lot of yoga retreats going on this weekend. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, a lot of people just sort of, you know, just reflecting deeply. Yeah, no, they, they got out of town. They went back to their districts and are uh, fundraising, those who, you know, do that sort of stuff all the time. And, um, yeah, they'll come back. Tuesday, I think uh, they'll have a conference and discuss. People can put their hat in the ring and make a speech to the Republicans, and uh, I think Wednesday they'll maybe go to a vote. Uh, According to the people that you're talking to, if you've asked this question, is this idea 
that a non-member of Congress, such as Donald John Trump, could become speaker? Is that a reality in any way? I mean, by rules, you don't have to be a member. It seems highly unlikely. I mean, he, he, the, the clip you played of the former president talking about people are talking about me as possible speaker, that's at a courthouse here in New York <laughs> that he was making that statement. Uh, where, where he's on, on trial for fraud. Where, where I believe not only is he on trial for fraud, he has already been found guilty of fraud. Correct. And now it's just how yes. much does he have to pay for being so fraudy? Right, and also was there sort of other things in, uh, as well as the fraud, corruption and fixing in the books and things right, like that? Right, the fraud might just be the amuse-bouche <laughs> of this trial. Yeah, I mean, it's a potential penalty of $250 million, I think. And, and there's questions about whether he actually has that, despite all the uh, braggadocio uh, if you will, uh, yeah, there's not there's questions about how much he actually has. Okay, so this 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 trial here, because he has um, talked uh, trash about people who are actually in the about the judge and and about the yeah, it was the, more the of the judge's clerk, right? Uh, He's talked smack about the judge too. Well, yes, but, uh, yes, yeah, but but, the uh, but it was the judge's clerk who he insinuated was the girlfriend of uh, Schumer, Chuck Schumer, um, who I mean, there's no reason to say that, other than there's a photo, I guess, of them together at, at some event. Um, yeah, the judge did not like that and uh, put a gag order on but, all parties, but... You but know. with some teeth in it, as opposed to, like, there'll be a bad thing. It, he said jail time, right? Well, look, I mean, any theoret any gag order, it's financial penalties or ultimately jail time. Uh, it seems hard to imagine. But I agree. I mean... I agree. It is, I, I, it, it is hard to imagine that that would actually happen. A judge in the county of New York is going to jail the former president of the United States for, well, I, I, I that, it seems hard to imagine. I, it, it is hard to imagine. Yeah. It's actually a little... That part actually is a little scary to me because if that actually did happen, I think, like, we'd have a January 6th every week. You know, it wouldn't be, well. it wouldn't be justified, but he is definitely already led with the threat of violence in the last two years. Well, he did just... You know, say that his the former that Mark Milley, General Milley, who has spent 40 years serving this country in the military, has one of the most extraordinary military records, and just has retired as chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Um, the fact that the former president put out a statement saying that he sh is guilty of treason and that the penalty for treason is death, uh, to be continued, he said. I mean, it, that's. An extraordinary thing. And that thing. people who steal things from sho shops should be shot as they leave the shop. Well, yes, of course he said yeah. that. Um, but, uh, you know, the irony it's is... It's a hopeful I future is what he's painting. <laughs> we have to take a quick break here, but uh, please uh, be back because Anderson Cooper will be here and you'll miss that. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. We're back with the author of Aster, The Rise and Fall of an American Fortune, Anderson Cooper. Okay, so it's not just this fraud case. 
Um, I've lost track. So there's uh, yeah, four just, yeah, broad, yeah. broad strokes So it's 91 federal, uh, 91 felony counts, criminal court. Uh, four, there's four criminal cases. And there's two uh, civil cases in New York County. And given all of that, even for a man who has seen as much as you in politics, in war zones, does it surprise you that given everything you just described, the other candidates in the Republican field combined have uh, fewer support than Donald Trump? Not really, no. I mean... It doesn't seem to have an effect. I mean, it does not seem to have an effect, yeah. And, and I mean, look, again, look, I, I am... I don't know why I am so stunned by this, but, you know, just yesterday or two days ago, Jake Tapper got a former chief of staff for the former president and uh, former head of Homeland Security, General John Kelly, who's... Uh, a gold star father who uh, has had a, you know, admirable career in the military and, and in public life, um, to confirm on the record every horrible thing that the former president said about service members, that he didn't want disabled veterans, disabled service members in his presence at public events because he thought it made him look bad, mm -hmm. that he didn't want to go to uh, American graveyards in France for soldiers who fought and Marines who fought and died in World War I uh, because they were losers. Um, that, you know, he obviously he'd called John McCain a loser for getting shot down. It turns out he'd also, according to General Kelly, called, uh, you know, George H.W. Bush, uh, Bush Sr., uh, a loser for getting shot down in the Pacific. Um, and, you know, it, it's nobody bats an eye. I mean, nobody in the Republican Party... That's not. Okay, so that that's leads me to my next question, which is how do you cover him uh, in a fresh way? Because uh, th let me contextualize this is that six years ago or two thousand sort of eight years ago, eight years ago, he came on the scene politically as really kind of a comic figure, but he ended as as a as an avatar of an American tragedy. And now, so he starts as a tragic figure, or rather a symbol of American tragedy. How can you, as a journalist, or do you feel any compunction to remind the audience of that, or does that seem not objective? Or, or is the objective choice to point out the tragedy that, that his candidacy is? I, I don't know that... I mean, I think the, the role of a journalist is to point out what is true and what is not true, and to, you know, there's only so much... Journalists can do. I mean, you, you can, you can, you know, confront somebody. You point out facts. You call them out on what is true, what is not true. You point out when they're lying. Um, but ultimately, it is up to voters to decide. And nobody can say that they don't know who this person is. Nobody can say that they are surprised by any of these things. Shocked, yes, but not necessarily surprised. Um, I think you keep doing what journalists do, which is ask the questions, have the facts at your disposal, confront the person with the facts. Um, and, you know, and again, this is across the board. Democrats, Republicans, that's the role of what journalists are supposed to do. And let the viewers decide, I, of, of let the American public decide who they want and what, where they want this country to go. And the, the... I don't think it should be up to reporters to be... I, I, I mean, I'm not... I don't watch, you know, hardcore opinion news programs. I'm not particularly interested in what an anchor 
thinks about or, you know, is trying to push an agenda. I'm interested in, like, information and facts and trying to just, just stick to that and let viewers make up their mind. Viewers are smarter than anybody. Let them make up their mind. Uh, we'll be right back with more Anderson Cooper, everybody. Stick around. Enjoying this episode of The Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two-minute survey all about getting to know you. Hey, everybody. Look at that. It's the author of Aster, The Rise and Fall of American Fortune, Anderson Cooper. Now, it is no secret. The, the Astors, of course, one of the, the, the great sort of fantasicla, golden age American families. I don't know what fantasicla means, but yes. One end of the, the one, cycle. Yeah, yes, know, like one, of the, the, one of the richest families in America for, for, for generations. Right, and it's no secret that you are a scion of the Vanderbilts. <laughs> are you sure? Okay. Sure, come yeah, on. Okay. You know what scion means? Well, I, scion means you like... you to Yale. Scion... <laughs> Again. Okay, yeah. all right. Did you ever rub elbow with an Astor? So, yes, I worked as a waiter. So I first met Brooke Astor, who was sort of the last in the line. She'd married Vincent Astor famously for five and a half miserable years of marriage and inherited his entire fortune and used it to give money back to the city of New York um, and to uh, build herself in, in society in New York. I had met her when I was like 13 in a restaurant called Mortimer's, which was like the society restaurant of 75th and Lexington. And my mom and I, and my brother would go there. My mom would take us there. And we would always, like, talk afterward. Because Mortimer's Mortimer was this crazy scene of, like, the bar at Star Wars, except it was, like, Klaus von Bülow and Dominic Dunn and all these society figures in the Upper East Side. And, you know, it was kind of fun to watch all this stuff. One day we're sitting there, Brooke Astor walks in, and I don't know who she is. I don't, I, at that point, I didn't know who the Astors were. And I'm like, who is this little old lady in a very big fur coat? Not realizing that the Astors actually first fortune was made in the slaughter of beavers and the beaver trade. Um, and, you know, what? anyway, I'm not going to argue about the beaver trade. He didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she came over to the table, and I instantly knew my mom did not like Brooke Astor. And my mom never would say mean things about people, but when she wanted to say something, she had a language all her own. So she said, I asked her later, why don't you like Brooke Astor? And she was like, I don't know. She just never grabbed me, which was, for my mom, like, the biggest insult. She just never grabbed me. It's very understated and waspy. Uh, and then, uh, uh, yeah, her biggest insult was about, like, Vincent Astor, uh, Brooke's dreadful husband. Uh, and my mom's, that was my mom's word, his dreadful. <laughs> that was the biggest insult. Oh. But fast forward, I worked as a waiter at Mortimer's, and uh, I ran into Brooke Astor and a couple years later after meeting her several times. And she, when I said her name, she looked at me, and for a moment, she smiled, but I was wearing the waiter outfit, so she didn't recognize me as Gloria Vanderbilt's son. I was just the waiter. And she, like, a smile had just started to form, and then as soon as she saw my waiter outfit and my face, it just dropped, and she just <laughs> kept on walking. And for me, it was a really important moment in my life of realizing, like, I mean, I realized this already before, but... To, to see how one gets treated when you're not standing next to Gloria Vanderbilt and people know you're her son. It, it, it's important for everybody to work in service. Oh, my God. It's yeah. the greatest. So, I was the worst waiter in New York. Oh, you were? Horrible. Why would Horrible. you be a bad waiter? I was working in an outdoor cafe. It was the summer. I couldn't d develop a system. Like, if you wanted more water and someone else on that plate needed, uh, you know, a fresh fork, I 
I couldn't figure out how to do both and make one trip. I would just like run with the water and I'd come back and then I'd put the water down and then I'd go get the fork and I'd be all sweating in a few minutes and I'd arrive at people's tables like sweating and dripping, which no one wants to see in a waiter. And it got to the point, it was so bad that summer, I started saying to people who were sitting at my tables, you might want to sit at someone else's station because I'm just not very good. Oh my God. Yeah, I did. Oh my I God. I, I made no I, money. I thought <laughs> that you would be, somehow I thought you no, would be. No, now I would be great. I would be great now. Because we have, I have plates here. Oh, I remember. I, oh. was, I have plates here. here. I'll show you. This is the only was, thing I remember. I was wondering. So the only thing I remember. No, is, yeah. Order up, order up, Cooper. So you put this, and then you do the two fingers, and then the plate on top. It was the third plate that, for me, was always, that was the problem. Right there, there it is. There you go. Yes. Did you do the tray? No, we didn't do trays. No. You couldn't do the tray How long were you a waiter for? Five years. Five years. Five years as a waiter. Wow. And as you can tell, I wasn't very busy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Yeah. Wow, you're good. Don't forget to tip out your back waiter. <laughs> um, Anderson, lovely to see you. Nice to see you. Thank Steven. you for setting us straight on so many things this evening, <laughs> especially your new book, Aster: The Rise and Fall of an American Fortune. It's available now. The man is Anderson Cooper. Everybody, thank you, Anderson. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. CBS Sunday, after The Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday after The Equalizer on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Now you can feel like you're in the audience at the Ed Sullivan Theater with official Late Show with Stephen Colbert merchandise at ParamountShop.com. Shop t-shirts, mugs, accessories, and more, and Late Show Pod Show listeners can take 20% off with code TLS20. That's 20% off at checkout on all Late Show products with code TLS20 at ParamountShop.com.